hello happy new year or whatever time of year you're listening to this in fact i hope that it's happy i hope that it's stress-free i hope that you have blessings on blessings my name is isma tukwimlin and i am doing well thank you so much for asking i am the host of the newsletter and the podcast threadings where we explore black feminism love studies and all the other things that keep and collect me and hold me together today i have an essay for you entitled poverty is a policy choice poverty is a policy choice that's right thesis statement as the title you know that it's serious i wrote this essay because in the last like quarter of 2022 i uploaded one to two videos on my tiktok that i really thought were going to be at minimum lightly controversial i thought the idea of poor people shouldn't have kids is a eugenicist praxis and it's not something that you should support would be easily digestible would be like easy like easy to get through easy to swallow complete like met with more understanding than not and not only was i pretty surprised at the amount of people in staunch opposition well i can't say surprised i'm not that surprised i was moderately surprised by the number but the stance itself is not surprising especially in a country like the united states what i was really surprised by were the amount of people that said i completely agree with what you're saying i support all your points everything that you said makes sense i just don't think that poor people should have kids that that in between right there that cognitive dissonance between Poor people are bad for having kids and in fact they have a moral imperative to not reproduce and poor people should or should not do anything is a pretty useless politic. Like there really isn't a whole lot of overlap there. And there seems to be a pretty sizable portion of the internet populations that I have access to that think that they can reconcile those two ideas and I fully do not believe that you can. So I said I did what I always do when I have ideas that are too big to chew on by myself. I call somebody and complain. I called like eight people and was like, can you believe ba, 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 ba? And they all said, okay, so are you gonna write an essay about it or are you just gonna sit here and bother me? And I said, you know, <laughs> it might be time for me to put pen to paper. So I spent a decent amount of time, like a, a honestly an embarrassing amount of time writing an essay in December that I was all set to publish and then I put it in a word document and it was like 20 pages and I said okay maybe Ismatu maybe we should like scale back a little bit (laughs) but I couldn't scale back all of my parts were important and the idea of or the claim that poor people shouldn't have kids is a particularly pervasive and a particularly dangerous dog whistle politic that I want to dismantle brick by brick brick by brick so i'm publishing the whole essay and instead of just giving to you all at once in like a two hour long podcast i think that might be overwhelming we're going to take the entire month of january to think about how poverty is a policy choice we are coming right back to belly of the beast the politics of anti-fatness is anti-blackness by deshaun l harrison right back to it once i finish this up additionally this is attached to a fundraiser that i am doing to support my family my community in sierra leone i will talk a little bit more of that in the middle of the essay but for now let's get started Mm, i missed you all happy new year wow an essay entitled poverty is a policy choice that was previously entitled with a lot of curse words so if you want to hear the version where i cuss somebody out over this that's on the paid tier of this podcast First, I have to say, regardless of how angry people make me when they promote dog whistle politics, most especially people with large impressionable platforms, 
My work is not compelled by anger at any individual. I am not here to argue with folks on the internet. I don't be for those on the internet. I am here because the nation state is trying to convince the general public that children should be the privilege of the wealthy and the curse of the irresponsible poor. Whoever you are, whether you're reading or listening or watching, however you're engaging with this, whatever your politic is, if you learn nothing else from what I have to say, please take the idea that your views are not neutral. You are not objective, your views are not neutral. I am not objective, my views are not neutral. Every single sort of thing that you can think, every opinion that you have, every policy decision that's made, comes from a narrative that somebody hand-stitched. Your personal politic or your personal ethos, they are not inevitable and they're not common sense. There is no such thing as common sense. All of your ideas come from somewhere and all of them mean something. It is essentially what I'm trying to say. It's always that deep. It is always that deep. So you have a choice. You can either continue to believe that you and your actions and your worldview, etc., don't matter anyways, or you can understand that everything that you think had a design from someone somewhere, and you can think critically about what you do and what you say and why you do and say it. So this is a series of essays that is going to come to you in several parts. Sections include, but are not limited to, of course, who are the poor? Who is responsible for the causes and the effects of poverty? What is reproductive justice? The illusion of choice in reproductive rights. You, yes you, are either poor or poor in waiting. And an extra bonus round on Dog Whistle Politics 101. I selected these topics as focus for this ever-present, chronically online argument that poor people should not have kids. The claim is overall not just that they should not, but that the poor of this world have a moral imperative to not inflict the suffering of their existence onto a defenseless child who could not choose to be here and does not deserve such a fate. I wanna be really clear. I don't think this claim is right even a little bit. I do not think this claim is right even one bit. I, explain, I intend to explain to you why over the course of tea, I am having ginger with honey. Uh, and at the time of writing this, I was drinking stress relief because I was uh, a bitch was stressed, but I'm going to go ahead and alert you of my biases and my background so you can ascertain whether I am someone that you would like to consider critically and then we can get to discussion. So who is Isma to Gwendolyn? If you're not on the newsletter, I would heavily recommend it because there is an adorable picture of little me here. Mm. I am a trained clinical social worker, master's pending on successful thesis completion. I have one degree in global health studies from Northwestern University and my master's of clinical social work has a concentration in global health administration and policy from the University of Chicago. I am studied personally and professionally in the creation of poverty, the myth of overpopulation, and the tenets of reproductive justice for those enduring the most suffering. I am also someone who grew up in poverty in the United States. I am a dual citizen of both the United States and Sierra Leone, where both of my parents were born and raised. In fact, my whole family is from Sierra Leone, except for me and my sister who were born here and were from both. <laughs> Sierra Leone is currently one of the poorest nation states in the world with a GDP of 518 US dollars as of 2020. 60 to 80% of the population lives in poverty, lives in like extreme poverty. Even so, 
Both of my parents and my other family members were appalled. They were shocked that people get on the internet to scream that poor people shouldn't have kids. My life and my background are relevant to my online content because my life circumstance affects my politic. I am someone who is compelled by love for my community into action. I think that the point of having a politic is to compel you to action. I include my life circumstance here in this essay because so many of us were incorrectly taught that lived experience is not enough reason to compel people to action or that true knowledge and real data can only be found via the scientific, the scientific method and distributed by official academic institutions. I am saying this as someone that has at this point received a world-class education. I strongly disagree. I could not agree with that idea less. For one, I believe there are many ways of knowing available to us as humans. And you absolutely can know something by experiencing it with your own body, with your own mind. And secondly, I think that this worldview promotes over-intellectualism, elitism, and a lack of compassion especially for community enrichment and community care. Academia is highly individualistic, but the person that I am is communal. The hardships that I face are communal. Even the blessings I receive are communal, way more communal than they are individual. The point of having a politic is praxis. The point of having a politic is praxis, is the action that you take based on what you believe. That is the point of developing worldviews, is to uh, make sure that your actions are in line with what you believe and what you would like to see in this world. Every truth that I believe and every action that I take is for my most beloved people. So to state it on record in what is a non-exhausted list, I have experienced food insecurity, housing insecurity, living somewhere without running water, being able to unafford basic utility bills, trading various body parts to the chop shop of capitalism as I continue my venture into adulthood, etc. Like I've been poor. I believe fully in the autonomy of reproductive justice for the poor because I know what it is like to be a child and an adult living in the unforgiving conditions of poverty and not just because I read about it in college. My purpose in doing all this in writing and filming and recording and editing and fundraising is to improve the lives of the people that I love most and the people that I am most responsible to. Speaking of which, fundraising, we have an ad here. Y'all know I do not take sponsorships, so this is sponsored by Isma to Gwendolyn. Please, please, please donate to the Feed My Family campaign where I am raising funds so that my family can survive the harvest season. It is a lot of people riding on this money and we need some very serious equipment to be able to make enough food for the villages that we support uh, here in Limba territory of Sierra Leone. So Limba people are indigenous to the region of Sierra Leone. They are agriculturalists, carpenters, construction workers, farmers. They're people that make for themselves what the world will not give them. And I, as their child with a unique circumstance and also incredible access to like large large populations of people that are interested in me and what I have to say am using my platform and my politic to raise money so that I can solve some generational problems that exist. Mainly that we don't have enough money to get proper farm equipment for food. 
So we need a tractor, two combination rice harvesters, chainsaws, a chain mill, and various smaller agricultural products that I want, like a sheep, a ram, etc. It's kind of a long list, so I won't read it all. However, the goal is $115,000, and thus far between Christmas and New Year's, which is such a hard time financially for most people, we raise almost $20,000. I am so endlessly grateful and endlessly excited for such a strong start, and I am not going to shut up about this. <laughs> I'm not going to shut up about this until we get every dollar raised. So the ask is exactly $1. If you can donate, there are plenty of links available to you. There's a link in the description of this episode. There's a link to donate in the newsletter. There's links in my bios on literally all of my social media, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Find somewhere and let me hold a dollar so that I can solve some generational poverty for these people. But the reason I share my background information is because I believe that the personal is political. My life not only informs my politic, my life necessitates my politic. I do not believe in the possibility of poverty eradication because I am unfamiliar personally or professionally or politically with poverty. I believe in poverty eradication because I truly believe that poverty is a solvable problem and that I can do something about it. And I believe you can do something about it. I want us all to have a politic that compels us to action. Let's begin. So the first part of this essay takes a closer look at poverty metrics. And here again, I heavily recommend signing up for the newsletter if you have not already because I use some data visualizations that I'll describe to you with my mouth but are a lot more impactful if you physically look at them. So would recommend, but who are the poor? The claim for this section of the essay is that the poor, quote unquote, are not some nameless, faceless mass of people. Poverty is not a randomly scattered event, nor is wealth for that matter. Poverty is also most definitely not one size fit all. So the inquiry here, the follow-up questions I have from that claim are, who are the poor? Who has been poor for generations? Who are the people that slip in and out of poverty? And what are we even defining as poor? What makes somebody poor? I think data visualizations can be really helpful, so I have three maps for us to look at. The first is called Mapping the World's 25 Poorest Countries in Terms of GDP. And GDP stands for Gross Domestic Product, in case that was an unfamiliar term to you. In GDP, which is measured here in US dollars, we have the first 25, well, actually, I should say the last 25, the poorest nations in the world as according to data from 2020. We know data has shifted a lot with the pandemic, um, most people did not experience economic growth in the pandemic, uh, with the exception of the United States, who slaughtered their uh, citizens for the altar of <laughs> capitalism. But <laughs> sorry, I, I try not to. I try not to, to divulge and tangent into how much I hate capitalism. But, you know, it's going to come out. So poor people, poor nations and people dealing with food insecurity on a national scale are all heavily concentrated on the continent of Africa. That's what these three maps will tell you. The first maps uh, the GDP of the poorest countries. The second is entitled the unlucky 1.6 billion and we're going to come back to this map and it's, it's a concentration map of populations that are in multi-dimensional poverty as of 2015. And then the third map is populations that are experiencing national and chronic food insecurity so poor people poor nations and people dealing with food insecurity on a national scale they are all heavily concentrated on the continent of africa of the 25 poorest nations as measured by the gdp 
only three of them are not on the continent of Africa. And they are Afghanistan, Haiti, and Tajikistan. All of the nations making up that bottom 25 have been subject to imperialism, all of them. Countries with significant amount of their populations in multidimensional poverty were previously colonized and or subject to research resource extraction by countries in the global north. So what I'm trying to say here is that poverty is not an accident. It is not a coincidence or a random twist of fate that countries that end up the poorest were also subject to the mo most land theft, labor theft, or people theft. When our language lacks compassion, our policy lacks compassion, the poor, quote unquote, are talked about like they are this indistinguishable mass of flesh. That's uh, from Ta-Nehisi Coates' when Between the World and Me. An indistinguishable mass of flesh. That's how people talk about black people, especially black people on the continent of Africa. And that's how people talk about the poor in general, just like some group of people. The poor are most often the colonized people of the world or the resulting collateral damage of colonization and imperialism. Look at how concentrated poverty is in black populations across the globe. And even if they are not black, they their crime is usually that they had the audacity to occupy resource-rich land, as is the case for Afghanistan, who is very oil-heavy. And Trajikistan was uh, annexed by the Soviet Union, so that's where some of their poverty came from. Even in the United States, one of the richest countries in the world, a disproportionate amount of poor people here are black, indigenous, or other groups of people subjects to killing by the state. A huge one is the disabled population. It is not a coincidence that current day poor people are made up of people that were previously subjected to genocide by land theft or genocide by labor extortion, the, or just straight up eugenics. <laughs> The modern day poor are people that white supremacist colonization and sanitization efforts did not kill the first time around. The in quotes poor are the people that cannot produce consistent capital due to access, ability, or any number of structural barriers to support. So are we certain, are we certain that our politic of choice is to restrict the most vulnerable among us from procreation as a response to the poverty that they did not create? Are we sure that that's a sound politic of justice? Language in general, like the poor, squashes down entire groups of people. It flattens poverty into being an inheritable trait rather than an inheritable consequence. We are not just poor, we are impoverished, as in something happened to create and maintain these conditions of suffering. So how do you implement policy opinions like poor people shouldn't have kids when entire nation states are under poverty? What do you do in that case when, when the entire nation state of Haiti, for example, Haiti's coming in at 16, a strong $732 in GDP for the nation. What do you do in circumstances like that? Do you think that the, just the entire country of Haiti should just like cease to exist? Do you think that that actually benefits the people and the children in those abhorrent conditions? Also, while we're asking questions, who else is in the regular habit of punishing Haiti for continuing to exist? And why? Why do they do that? Food for thought, right? So before we close our introductory arguments for today, I do have one more question. 
what qualifies as poor? So I chose a more specific word than poor for the duration of this essay and the duration of this series, which is poverty. Poor and rich are relative concepts. What might be poor to one individual understanding may be quite well off to another. Even the same person in different geographical contexts upset the illusion that poor and rich are these clear dichotomies. Poverty is a term that has clear economic and systemic benchmarks, so it's easier for us to find data on it. Here is another data visualization of the three dimensions of poverty as defined by the multidimensional poverty index. <sighs> the multidimensional poverty index, or the MDI, was developed by the Oxford Poverty and Human Development Initiative and released for the first time in 2014. So the MDI was developed to get a more accurate read on populations living in poverty throughout the world because the previous metric, known as the Human Poverty Index, or the HBI, it was not cutting it. That was not doing enough. The HBI measures poverty by examining whether the population of a country is at or below a financial threshold, which was $1.25 a day. That was a number decided on by the World Bank. HBI was not getting into the nitty gritty of who was poor and what kind of poverty it was. It couldn't look at geographical differences inside of a country and it also failed to account for anything but income. So the MDI, the Multidimensional Poverty Index, uh, is meant to measure deprivations or how many things around you decrease your quality of life by a significant margin. Do you have electricity? You have safe drinking water, sewage systems, access to medicine. Okay, so there are three big dimensions of poverty as defined by the multidimensional poverty index. I actually think that's supposed to be MPI and not MDI. I'm just dyslexic, so please bear with me. <laughs> three big things, standard of living, education, and health. Now, the only two things under health are nutrition and child mortality, and I do have some critiques about that later. But then under education, we have years of schooling and school attendance. And then under standard of living, we have cooking fuel, sanitation, drinking water, electricity, housing, and assets. So these are the things that they're measuring poverty on. How many of these things do you have or do you not have access to on any given day? We're going to start with critiques, as we always do. For one, $1.25 per day is a metric that is heinously low. Heinous. The only thing it's good for is measuring absolute depravity. Metrics like this are designed to make sure that wealthy nations of the world are, neither, are never really held to task about the impoverished populations of their own countries. $1.25 per day means that most of the population of the United States doesn't fall under the HBI threshold of poverty, so then the United States gets a pat on the back from the present day. When we know, we who are living here in the United States, know that the federal minimum wage is not even something that one person could survive on, let alone a family. We know that poverty is rampant in the United States. And not just poverty, but people that are absolutely impoverished that don't think they're impoverished for some reason. <laughs> Sorry, I lost my place. There we go. Wealthier, wealthier nations need region-specific poverty me metrics to be distributed on the world stage because poverty is geographical as much as it is a worldwide phenomenon. The lack of data on truly impoverished populations in wealthy nations is an intentional choice to make certain countries like the United States appear wealthier than the general populace actually is. Additionally, Multidimensional poverty indexes, uh, the reports that were released in 2014 when they were first, when they were a new thing, 
they found that the Human Poverty Index underestimated poverty pretty severely. In 2014, the number of people living in absolute poverty, quote unquote, at $1.25 per day was 1.2 billion people. That's about 16% of the world population at the time of 2014. But the multidimensional poverty index, the one that accounts for those three things, education, health, and standard of living, they actually clocked it in about 22%, which was 400 million more people than we previously thought. 1.6 billion people. $1.25 a day is a, an, it's an amount that was designed to make the whole world look better than it actually is when, it, when regarding poverty. So that was a number figured out by the World Bank and we don't trust the World Bank. We don't fuck with the World Bank over here. But I just wanna say really explicitly, $1.25 per day is heinously low and is not a true reflection of the expansive nature of poverty. Half of the world, 50% of the world, live on less than $5.50 a day, according to that same World Bank. They're the ones that put that metric so low so that it looks like a cute 20%. So that statements like, oh, well, poor people just shouldn't have kids if they're poor, seem like a reasonable thing to think. Is it reasonable if poor is half of the world? Let's actually take that further. Half, because only half the world lives on $2,000 a year. If we bump that number up to $10 a day, that is $30 a month. If we bump that number up to $30 a month, we get numbers in the 70%. 70% of the world lives on $10 a day or less. So this poor people just shouldn't reproduce. Are you willing to say that about 70% of people? We as a public fail to understand how expansive poverty is. We're going to get into some hard data. The following data is pulled from the 2022 Global Multidimensional Poverty Index, which you can read on the newsletter for free. In fact, all of my sources are linked. Every time I state something like it's a fact, it's because it's, uh, it has a little bit of a citation. All my sources are in APA format. You can go find them at the newsletter. But... Across 111 countries, 1.2 billion people, or that's 19.1% of the total world population, live in acute multidimensional poverty, referred to as poverty throughout. Half of these people, which is 593 million, are children under the ages of 18. The developing region where the largest number of poor people live is Sub-Saharan Africa, which is nearly 579 million, followed by South Asia at 385 million. Stimulations in 2020 suggest that COVID-19 as a pandemic had set progress in reducing multidimensional poverty values back by three to 10 years. Updated data could indicate that the setback at the global level is likely to be high. So not only are we real poor as a, like as a humanity, as a human race, we're poorer than we think that we are. And we don't even know what that data looks like yet because COVID came and fucked up everything. An important thing to note here is that Western metrics are always designed to make imperialist Western nations look rich, well-fed, and otherwise saintly. Because why isn't access to healthcare included in the health metrics for defining poverty? That's in the multidimensional poverty index, right? Health only includes nutrition and child mortality, but it doesn't include like, can you get to a doctor? I think that's a very interesting choice. 
why wouldn't that be included? Healthcare be included in health metrics for defining poverty, whether you can afford the healthcare around you or not, especially because healthcare is necessary to save your life in some circumstances. So what wealthy nations might have huge amounts of their population counted under the poverty line if access to healthcare was included as a deprivation? And why wouldn't that be the case? Whose face are we trying to save here? So knowing all of this, why would your question be, how dare these con people continue to produce children? And not, huh, you know, isn't it a weird coincidence that the majority of the world's poor are groups that are persecuted, enslaved, stolen from, and killed for the material gain of the ruling class? Like that just sounds, that sounds, it's such a weird thing how that Venn diagram is actually a circle, right? These patterns are not a coincidence. By the end of this series, I hope to convince you that poverty is an intentional poli policy choice. Pover poverty is a policy choice meant to demoralize, punish, restrict, and kill off specific populations for the sole benefit of the ruling class. The next essay in the series is, who is responsible for the causes and effects of poverty? <laughs> Thank you so much for reading, listening, commenting, emailing, donating, all of the above. You all make me appreciate the process of learning in public, even if it is sometimes frustrating. If you want to hear me be frustrated and hear me uh, cuss some people out, that version of this podcast is available. It's behind a paywall because it's messy, but if you like a little mess, feel free to indulge. I hope you are well held together. I hope that whatever is making up your seams or your binding, it's good and strong. Uh, and I'll see you next time.